Welcome to the Fangirl Business, a supernatural podcast. The information presented in this podcast is intended to be for entertainment and educational purposes only. It should never be used in place of advice given by a mental health or medical professional or as a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are struggling with a mental health issue, please seek treatment from a mental health professional in your area. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fangirl Business. I'm Catherine. And I'm Krisha. And today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 1 of The Winchesters, the pilot. It happened. <laughs> we saw Dean! I almost didn't understand that. That was so much squee. <laughs> the frequency was high. It's true. But the squee register is back because Dean Winchester is back. That's right. I, I find it especially admirable that you got that high when you're not feeling well. It's true. Yeah. So at some point, I'm going to sound like a, a pack a day smoker because my child took sharing is caring a bit too far and brought her petri dish home fun times we will see if i can make it through mhm i don't even know where to start like we could talk about this episode for 6 hours and still have more to say because you know yeah. we're us and we want to analyze every detail and i would assert this episode of television was set up for us to analyze every detail. Uh, yes. Like, did you get that impression? I saw so many yes. things that I was like, I could spend an hour in this frame. Like, yeah. this one split second of this show, I could spend an hour. There were so many Easter eggs. <laughs> it was like Easter day in the park, just throwing out Easter eggs everywhere for mm -hmm. us to find. It was wild. There was just so much stuff. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. So it does make it hard to know where to start. I mean, I guess we could start with just like broad strokes. What did you think? Like right. generally? I liked it. There was a lot about it that I really enjoyed. I found some moments were stronger than others. Mm -hmm. But I think that's to be expected when you are just kind of finding your feet as a show. Mm -hmm. I found the scene with a dialogue after the first demon fight was like super heavy on exposition mm -hmm. and it kind of took me out of the story a little bit but overall I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed the characters I think I'm enjoying it even more now because I've been able to start unpacking it mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's just so much there to dig into so yeah, how about you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think same. I think I really enjoyed it while I was watching it, but I did struggle a bit with the pacing. It just felt like such breakneck speed that I was like, whoa, okay. Mm. But interestingly, like we'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, but one of the things I did today to prepare for recording was to go back and watch the pilot of Supernatural mm. to look for Easter eggs and kind of like compare. And mm. I had forgotten that the pilot of Supernatural is exactly the same way. Okay. There's so much exposition that they crammed into that first episode. Okay. It's one of those things I forget until I'm watching it again. And then I'm just like, wow, okay, Sam is for no reason talking about their entire life when like they're <laughs> brothers and they already know their whole life, you know? <laughs> That's true. That scene on the stairs <laughs> yes, where he's like, yes, hellhounds and portals and dad giving me a gun at the age of five or whatever. Yeah. 
There was two scenes I felt like of big exposition in the Winchesters, which was one was after the fight when Mary's kind of filling him in. And then the other Mm -hmm. one was when they were going down the stairs into the clubhouse and she was going through the hunt and he was asking questions. And so that felt like a direct callback to the, the supernatural pilot when all of that exposition came when they were walking down stairs. Point being, stairs and exposition seems to be a a supernatural pilot tradition. So I don't know. I felt a little bit different about it because it seemed like in Supernatural, at least, they wanted to just get all of that universe building out of the way because there is a shocking amount in the pilot for Supernatural that goes on to be iconic. I mean, we get so many things. We get jerk bitch. We get no chick flick moments. We get the story on credit card scams and Mm. FBI identities and all of that. We learn so much about their world in that one episode. And then we just don't have to learn about it anymore. John's journals in there. Yeah. The demon driver picks the music. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, okay. So I did feel the pacing was a bit much. But then compared to Supernatural, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's on par with where we've been before then. So maybe it was a choice. Mm. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed getting to know these new characters and seeing these different things in them. The only thing that I guess I was surprised at is that we didn't get at least a little bit more Dean. Like we had already seen everything that was in there. So I was a little bummed about that. I was hoping that we would get at least like one little tiny tidbit that was new. Yeah, I mean, the words were new, but the images we'd all seen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I get that. But yeah, overall, it was a good time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe we can talk a little bit about the feeling of live tweeting and kind of coming together again, because for me, that was just as much fun Mm -hmm. as watching the show. And it's weird because I usually go into my own little bubble when I live tweet. So it's weird that it feels like a community exercise because I'm a slow live tweeter. Like it took Mm -hmm. me two and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) But then I go back and I talk with people once I'm done. And that's part of the fun for me. And I really enjoyed your tweets too. Yeah, I don't have the capability to pause. So for me, it's all live 100%. But Mm. it was really fun. I mean, I tried to stay engaged while the show was on and then sort of live tweet and check in with other people and commercial breaks. And God, I missed it. That felt like coming home. Honestly, that and I will say that the sound effect around the title card. Those are the two things that I was like, ah, oh, I'm back. <laughs> I could know that moment where they have the creature noise in the background and the jumping out mm-hmm. graphics at you. And mm. I was just like, not expecting to be taken out by a chittering sound effect in a title card but here we are (laughs) i mean same totally the same i think i stayed with that for 10 minutes just yeah (laughs) like looking at it analyzing it all that fun stuff so yeah (sighs) okay what do you want to talk about first about the actual i don't even don't even know i don't know where to start there's too much stuff and it's all great i mean do we want to start maybe by just kind of like talking about these four new characters that we now are getting to know in these different ways yeah let's talk about mary first Mm -hmm. she reminds me so much of claire yeah scary oh yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. Just that same kind of really tough attitude with this really deep vulnerability that is hiding it, which is also so Dean. Super Dean. I immediately was like, oh, I get her. I like her. She's reminding me of these characters who I absolutely love. And like visually to me, she also looks a lot like Claire, which mm-hmm. is why I went to Claire first. Yep. But yeah, like really, really tough and really, really vulnerable. And I love the way that she was played by Meg. Mm-hmm. She hits hard with the attitude and the toughness, and then it makes the soft moments. They hit even harder. Just some of the looks that she gave John, some of the moments when she was talking about her cousin who died. Yeah, I just really liked those contrasts. How about you? Yeah, I really liked the way that they showed that both Mary and John are dealing with an acute trauma related to losing someone that they cared about. Yes. And that they are dealing with it similarly but different. They're both traumatized and trying to make some changes in their lives that are really big and sweeping. It's just Mm -hmm. that those decisions are opposite. John is wanting to delve into the supernatural world and Mary wants out. Right. And seeing someone that you love who is your same age die at the age of 18. Yeah, I can understand why that would make you want out. Yeah. And so for Mary, I feel like we've been talking about how she has community, whereas John was more solo, which is true. And so I found it interesting that she was the one desperately trying to push everyone away because she doesn't want anybody to get hurt and they just won't go. Yes. They're all going to be there for her whether she wants it or not. I was so surprised by that. She really did keep pushing people away. And I think really it's Lathika who is a person who's making sure that the community is building and there for Mm -hmm. her. Um, And I really loved that about her character. But yeah, it surprised me. I thought that Mary was the community person, the community builder based on the promos. And actually, she's very much actively trying to back away from that. And I love what you said, because they just they won't go. Mm -hmm. They keep showing up for her. Well, I think it's very possible that she shifted, that she has changed based on this loss that she experienced, because they talked about an ex-boyfriend of hers, and they talked about these ways in which she was more connected and did have relationships, and now that she has seen how dangerous the life is, she's trying to push everybody out. So I'm wondering if she's changed, you know, if before she was the community builder, which is why she has these relationships, and now... She's scared. Mm, That would make a lot of sense. And that's why they're just like, no, we're staying. Yeah. Suck it up. I mean, obviously, John is new in that. But Lata and Carlos, there seems to be quite a history there with Mary. So absolutely. And she has really deep regrets, for instance, Mm -hmm. about Lata. Yeah. She's actually going in deeper as Mary is saying, no, 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 you don't want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So that was a really interesting dynamic. And I think one of the things that I am liking about this as we're talking about it and just sort of realizing is that we already have a really layered sense of the relationships here, the history, what makes them tick, what the new issues are versus the established relationships as we're talking about that, I'm just sort of realizing that. So John, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start with John. 
I got mad because I wanted to protect him from his mother. And I was like, I'm 20 minutes into this show and I'm feeling protective of John. This is bad. (laughs) Generational trauma, man. It, Mm. It does a number. Yeah. So first of all, Drake that plays John... I don't know if it's just him or if he actively picked up mannerisms, but he was so like season one Sam that it honestly freaked me out a little bit. Yes. I mean, the way that he held his face, like it's such a weird thing to say, but like facial micro expressions and just... Yeah, because I didn't think that he really looked like either of them until I started watching this episode. And then I was like, he looks so much like Sam. What is, is going on? Freaky. Yeah. So super weird. Yeah. So, yeah, that piece of it was just like, whoa, they got the right actor for sure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're going to really lean into talking about John's mental health, which I think we kind of knew. So the PTSD he has from being in Vietnam and losing his friend, which was just I can't imagine how foundational that had to be for him to say, like, no, I've got you. I'm going to keep you safe. And then Murph ran off and, and died. Yeah. Just what an intensely difficult, painful, emotionally complicated kind of grief, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the way that he died is just a horrifying thing to witness. Yeah. Even if it wasn't your buddy, even if it wasn't your combat friend and partner, that would be intensely traumatic. But to see somebody that you wanted to protect and cared about die in that way, it's just... Well, looking at you and saying, John, you know, I mean, my jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing John be open about it. That was definitely like, wow, yeah, this is a different John. I mean, he was talking to Mary about, I feel haunted, and Mm. answering questions about, okay, what do you see? The way that Mary was encouraging him to talk about his trauma, while, of Mm -hmm. course, not talking about hers. (laughs) Dean Winchester, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was really fascinating to watch them talking about the trauma that they had experienced and she did open up eventually so you know I joke but she did talk about it once he kind of pushed a little bit yes when he said how do you cope and she's like I'll let you know when I find out I just thought that that was such a beautifully honest conversation about mental health and coping through Mm. these different types of wars that they were each fighting Mm. John was so sweet and kind, especially with Lato, like talking about being nervous together. I was like, oh, he's so sweet and emotionally available. Yeah. Who is this guy? (laughs) That part killed me, especially because that was pure Sam. But Sam never got to witness that in his father. Yeah. Because by the time Sam was old enough that had all been stripped away from John. Yep. And all that was left was this hardness. So that moment in particular, it was so Sam. It was so 100% Sam. And knowing that Sam never got to see that from his father, it just killed me. Killed me. Yep. 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 For sure. (sighs) I like John as he is now. I think he's sweet and kind and really wants to do good. And he does exude Sam, I feel like, that really cute kind of puppy quality that Sam had when he was little. Yes. But I also, while it's weird to say the words, I like John, I already know. And they already alluded to. There was one scene, Carlos says, The only thing worse than how it starts, Brad, is how it ends. 
Mm-hmm. And then it flashed very specifically to Lata, then Mary, then John. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, sh-. Like, we already know John and Mary, but are they really gonna... Mm-hmm. And maybe they were just pointing to all of them. But we don't ever hear about Carlos and Lata and Supernaturals, so it's unlikely to end well for anyone. Apparently, though, there was a Carlos that Dean consulted on a case who was mm-hmm. an older hunter. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. Basically already setting up that this is a tragedy in a lot of ways, at least based on what we know to be true. So I can like John now, but that's just going to make it hurt worse because I already know where he ends up. I already know that all of this gets stripped away, all of these good intentions, all of this community that he's building, all of this being emotionally vulnerable. It's not going to get him anywhere good. Yeah. So. And I think we also kind of caught a little glimpse of the darkness that's there in the scene underneath the crypt, mm-hmm. where he is absolutely 100% willing to throw his life away at a moment's uh-huh. notice. And to me, that red is somebody who doesn't care about their life at all. And that's actually a really dangerous person to have working with you in a hunting situation or a war situation. So when he did that, that felt like a really dark moment to me Mm -hmm. where it was revealed just how little he values his own life at this stage. I feel like John reminded me so much of Sam throughout most of the episode. That's the parallel I kept making. But this was the time that I was like, ah, there's Dean. Yeah. (laughs) There he is. And continuing on with that point, that whole fight in the dungeon or in the cemetery, there were two fights happening. Yes. The demon up top. And then there was the, it's not a Rougarou, it's something else. It's a Lougarou. Sure. Yeah. That's the French word for werewolf. I thought it was going to be a Rougarou because those are New Orleans monsters. But I think they ended up calling them Lougarous, which is just French for a werewolf. That's weird. Anyway. um, (laughs) It is a little. John was by himself. Yes. He was cut off from everyone else. And that fight was very physical and bloody and gory and gruesome. And he was happy to do that by himself. He volunteered to do that by himself. And then up top, it was much more coordination, communication, brains, figuring out the code and being able to use it. I thought that was an interesting contrast in terms of what we know to come. Absolutely. Because as we were talking about in the last episode, it's supposed to be the Campbells who are the brawn and the Winchesters who are the brain. Mm -hmm. So it was a very interesting inverse of Mm -hmm. situations in that. I noticed that too and thought, oh, Hmm. Uh, they're doing something interesting mm-hmm. i was just gonna move on to lata who's i love her so much I oh think my god she might be my favorite like yes I just oh my gosh i just love her she's yeah. like super cute and super brainy and super awkward and i'm just like oh, i just will put her in my pocket i love yep. her yep <laughs> yep 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 and so anxious i'm like yeah ah, ah i love her yes <laughs> I also love how when she's comfortable with people, she doesn't put up with stuff. She's able to put her foot down. Mm -hmm. But she's also just really brave because Mm -hmm. she goes on her first hunt and it's like a major hunt. They're not just starting off with low key, low stake stuff. She's going in there trying to help Mary find her dad, knowing that there are probably demons involved. 
and I just loved her courage. I love that she was okay to say that she was nervous, and mm. I love that she did the thing anyway. I really adore her a whole bunch. <laughs> Actually, I loved the way that she framed the nervousness. She's so smart because she was like, oh, it's your first hunt, John. I'm sure you must be nervous and it's okay to be nervous and it's okay to have a second thought. Like she, I was just cracking up because yeah, yeah, let me make it about John when it's totally about me. And of course, John is like, yeah, it's okay to be nervous. <laughs> Let's be nervous <laughs> together. Like just calls her immediately on it. <laughs> the loyalty that she expressed too, because Samuel saved her life. And so mm. she was not going to not help both right. finding Samuel and also helping Mary. Like she just wasn't going to let Mary go off solo either right so i also get the sense and we don't know this yet i guess we did see this a little bit that she's the mediator we saw her trying to talk to mary about carlos and to talk to carlos about mary and so i saw her as kind of like doing that behind the scenes emotional work yes i see a lot of myself in her which is part of the reason that i just really latched onto her i just very much enjoy her character i cannot wait to see how she grows Mm. Same. Shall we talk about Carlos? Let's talk about Carlos. I really enjoyed Carlos, too. Mm. My goodness. What a just unrepentant disaster by. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Messy, messy, messy boy. I enjoy him immensely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, start to finish. He just takes up all the space and is just so him. I had a whole moment when he was like dressing John that I just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> of what we know of John, the idea of this ultra hippie trying to dress John Winchester and John <laughs> actually putting on the clothes he was given. I was just like, Wow. <laughs> That is so true. Oh, my God. I hadn't put it in that context. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the, he and John moments were fantastic. Mm -hmm. The moment where he's like, read this word for word. Yeah. Yeah. But didn't specify what to read. Just no. handed him a random paper. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I got the sense that uh, <laughs> communication is not Carlos's strong suit. No, no. That seemed to be a running theme, which is why Mary seemed to have such issue with him. Yes. And I mean, he literally ran out on Latha when she was terrified to do something really helpful. But communicate, buddy. Like, come on. Like, she was by herself and terrified. Ugh. Use your words, Carlos. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely would have throttled him in that situation. So, I mean, he definitely strikes me as that character that is extremely charming, extremely lovable, but also makes you want to throttle him on a regular basis. Yes, very much so. And obviously, he is an openly bisexual character, which they did some exposition to set that up for us. And folks had some complicated feelings about that and negative stereotypes relating to bi folks. Yes, I struggled with that. I mean, I've been hit with that stereotype myself personally. Mm. When I came out to my former therapist... <laughs> She immediately wanted to know if I'd had an affair while I was married. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, it is a stereotype that's out there and people do genuinely believe it and it is genuinely hurtful. So I understand why people were upset with the fact that there was hinted around at cheating involved. And so I get that. There are other ways they could have done it. I was just watching Interview with a Vampire, and on that show, Lestat, Louis is trying to figure out, like, what he is, because Louis is a queer man, and he is living in the early 1900s in Mm. Louisiana as a black man. Mm. So he asks Lestat... Half queer, mostly queer, what is it? And Lestat looks at him and says... Non-discriminating. And to me, that was a really good way to have a character come out. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, too, about the David Rose situation with I like the wine, not the label. Yeah. yeah. So there are, I think, ways they could have done it that would have been less problematic. At the same time, I am into the fact that he is a messy bi boy. And when I saw it, I was really excited that they stated it that unequivocally and that his friend didn't blink an eye. Like it Mm -hmm. was a non-issue for her. So I get why people have complicated feelings about it. But I'm there for that being a part of his character. And we have so much more to go. So this isn't the only statement of who Carlos is in terms of his bisexuality that we're going to get. I think that like we talked about last time, we all come to television with different vulnerabilities. We all have different experiences Mm -hmm. and we have things that are going to hit different ways. And I respect that deeply, you know? Yeah. The promiscuous or unfaithful bisexual is absolutely a trope. It's absolutely a harmful stereotype that does not describe bisexual folks. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do with each other. And I feel like that's something that is hard for some folks to understand. And so again, like you say, I, I get why some people had a flinch to that i didn't flinch for me i think part of that is because um well i was raised by hippies so i'm very comfortable (laughs) in this idea of the hippie sort of free love mentality i think that's what i was expecting so it wasn't Mm. a surprise to me right i feel like that was already baked into what i understood his character was going to be right but i also think that when we get into tropes A lot of times it's because that's like the singular defining thing about a character. And that's where it gets frustrating. And for Carlos, him being messy or not thinking about the consequences of his actions or communicating, that was something that we saw in lots of areas. Sex was just one. And so I feel like that, to me, is just going to be part of who he is, not just part of his bisexuality. He has a very like... He's very impulsive. Yeah. Yeah. He's very impulsive. I think maybe that comes from the trauma that he has experienced or that I could die tomorrow. So I might as well just do whatever I want today. Yeah, a hippie hunter. Like that's exactly what I envision as a hippie hunter, you know? (laughs) And so I feel like his impulsivity and his lack of thinking about long-term consequences of his actions could very well play a part in where things go for his character. Right. But yeah, he seems to be... Like, even just, even him giving the exorcism to John to read, that's a demon. Like, right. that that <laughs> demon could get up and kill them all, salt line be damned, and he's just like, no, go ahead, hurry up. It's Latin. It's not like he's reading English, you know? So I was just like, what are you doing? 
But at the same time, I loved that he was inclusive. And he was like, okay, you want to do this? Let's go. Do the thing. And gave John the chance to start to claim his identity as a hunter. I think it's one of those things where it's like both sides. You're horrified, but it's also kind of sweet. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he's the one that brought Lata along, even though Mary's saying, no, you're not ready. No, this isn't good for you. And he's like, I'm, yeah, you're ready. I mean, probably. Um, <laughs> which is like, oh, buddy. <laughs> the anxiety in me is like, <laughs> Yes. So is that going to bite him in the ass at some point? Almost guaranteed. Mm. I cannot fathom how you can live that way as a hunter and not have it come back and bite you at some point. Yeah. Agreed. We'll see. Agreed. Can we just talk really quickly about the two more minor characters, Mm -hmm. Ada and Millie? Mm-hmm. So I love the actress who plays Ada. She yeah. was also in Motherland Fort Salem, and her character there was amazing. So I knew she was going to do a solid job with Ada, and boy, she hit it out of the park. Mm-hmm. The shift from a really grounded woman who is just going through her day to becoming this sinister demon to then becoming somebody who's recovering from a trauma but knows that they have work to do just was amazing. And yeah. so I know we didn't get to see a lot of her as her, but I felt like what we did see really showed the range of acting was so good. And I can't wait to see more of the character of Ada herself. I thought it was really interesting, the conversation that she had with John at the end of the episode, because it felt so similar to the conversation that Sam and Dean had early on with Missouri. It was this, you know, strong, brilliant black woman that had a relationship with their dad. And she's trying to help John along, just like Missouri helped Sam and Dean along. Yes. Which I thought was a really cool throwback. It was. I hadn't thought of that at all. And it was. I would say that Ada was much softer, but. (laughs) She definitely had a different vibe. I mean, when Missouri was talking to Sam and Dean, John was, you know, in her living room. So there was that. Mm. Whereas the men of letters are dead. And that seems to be like a real loss for Ada, like something that she's still really grieving all these years later. Yes. Plus Samuel. But like, yeah, that actress is a demon too. I was like, terrifying gosh you did good and the fact that she was i mean that says a lot because we've seen Mm. a lot of demons (laughs) right yeah she was memorable and she was creepy and she was just hot can i say that Uh yes Yes. (laughs) she yes (laughs) sorry we're having a bisexual moment i believe that was the first time i've been attracted to a demon well demon dean just kidding anyway (laughs) Ah, Supernatural. This is where we come to. (laughs) I really enjoyed her. I hope that we get to see more of her because she feels like a very strong and also a really brilliant person, you know, and I really am interested to see what that looks like in context of this group that is kind of a mishmash and a little chaotic and everybody's kind of in their own messy spot. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to see what her role is within the Scooby gang. Absolutely. And I love that moment at the end where it shifts from I with Mary to we with Mm -hmm. John and then the rest of them. That was just such a lovely moment. And I loved that they were right from the beginning because Mary is all about family. She always hunts with her family. That's her background. That's her history. It's always 
been focused on family. And now, right from the beginning of this story, we're having found family mm-hmm. begin to form in, I think, a more profound way than it's been a part of her life before. So I, I loved that moment at the end where it shifted from I to we. That yeah. was a really cool moment. I will say, just as a quick aside, that when it, Mary was talking about her dad, then she said, there's no secrets in our family. I like bark laughed out loud. <laughs> well, some generational things continue and just some don't, huh? Isn't that the case? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a moment. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, let's switch over to Millie quickly. I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> Seems like you're conflicted. <laughs> I was having a moment yesterday where I was discussing the premiere with my book club, which we're all Supernatural fans. You know that saying where the first thing you say is the honest thing, mm-hmm. and then you have time to reconsider mm-hmm. and make it more socially acceptable? The way she spoke to John when he walked up. My husband and son walked out on me, so this is the best I could do. Oof. Yeah. I was taken aback. Good Lord. And she meant it. Mm-hmm. She meant every word. And I was just like, holy crap, your son just stepped off of a bus from a war. And that's how you're going to respond to him when he was joking. He wasn't being serious. She was deadly serious. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) Yeah, I definitely got more John Winchester vibes from Millie than I did from John Winchester. (laughs) Yes. She seemed very (sighs) mad. Like, she seemed mad at him. She's just angry. If he forged a signature and then left to go to war without saying anything to her, yeah, absolutely. She's entitled to be angry. I would 100% be furious if my kid did that. Mm -hmm. I think that my struggle is that she lumped him with Henry. My husband and son walked out on me. Well, Henry walked out when he was very, very young. Wow, holding on to that and putting them just right in the same category. Mm -hmm. And then what was your impression on if she knew about what Henry did? I got the sense that she did because of their conversation at the end where she apologizes and then is like, I need to protect you. You'll understand when you have kids. I screamed at my TV. I hate that trope so much. And it's always said by really awful people saying condescending things and usually they're very angry that was definitely the case here i don't think she knows exactly why henry went missing but i think she knows about what he was into that wouldn't take away the hurt from him disappearing but i would think that it would explain more of it than if she had no idea and he was just gone And I also hated that she immediately put pressure on him to figure out what he was doing next when he just stepped off the bus coming back from Vietnam. She had moments of warmth, but those felt less authentic than her moments of anger and being demanding and cold. 
Yeah, I felt like she was very invalidating of him sort of consistently. So, you know, the first thing she says is, well, my husband and son abandoned me or walked out on me. And then he goes to get a beer and she's like, nope, far as I'm concerned, you're the same age as you were when you enlisted, not allowing for his growth. Right. The constant let the past be in the past. You've been chasing your dad since he walked out. Well, you know, maybe if he's been chasing his dad for his whole life, you saying stop is probably not going to have an impact there. So maybe try something else. And then (laughs) I had a visceral response that I had to sit with at the end when he came to her with the letter and she said, you're mad at me? I'm the one who stayed. Because I was thinking about it in terms of John and Mary. John stayed, but that did not make him the superior parent. That did not make him a good parent. Just because you're there doesn't mean that you're a solid parent. There's no space for him to be angry at you. Right. For not being honest with him. Right. I was really frustrated by her immediate response not being empathy or kindness or compassion or comfort. It was just, you're going to be mad at me? defensiveness making it about her i was like yeah i was trying to put it in context in my head of her being a woman in the 70s running a garage and being a single parent that would not have been an easy life but when you were talking about generational trauma Mm -hmm. this is where john learned his later behavior and that made me really sad and also i really hate her (laughs) It is hard to stay in context of the here and now with this story because all we can see or all I can see is the impact that it has down the road and how angry I get about that. And so it definitely skews the way that I am experiencing this story. Absolutely. I'm fine to own that. Yes. Yes. Should we talk about Dean next? Let's talk about Dean next. Always happy to talk about Dean. Yeah. Yeah. We were offered absolutely no new information as to where the hell he is. I don't know why I wasn't expecting that, but I wasn't expecting that. I thought they would give us some kind of little something. Yeah. I got nothing. Nope. (laughs) Sure didn't. (laughs) So we have no idea. I mean, we can theorize, obviously, but we don't have any meaningful understanding of why he's looking at this, who he's talking to, why he's writing it down, or what his purpose is here. Yeah. We're not even sure if he's dead right now. (laughs) It was absolutely contextless other than the previous context clues that we had, which were the Kansas plates, which were used in heaven, the Samulet, which shouldn't be there, and him sort of driving aimlessly on a road. Mm -hmm. We did learn a little bit more through the actual dialogue. We know that he's telling a story, and that was an interesting thing because a lot of people were saying This doesn't sound like Dean. A few people mentioned his accent was heavier, which it was. But I can attribute that to him not having spoken as Dean for a while. (laughs) But also he's narrating. He's not having a conversation. He's telling a story and he's telling a story that he is writing down. And when we read from a text, we tend to have different intonation and inflection than we do when we're having just a conversation with somebody. So I think that accounts for a lot of the difference in the way that he's speaking. It's more formal because he's he's storytelling. That's a good point, too. Because it it didn't feel quite like Dean, but Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you're right. He wasn't doing the casual Dean thing. No. This felt more formal. Yeah. In the way he was speaking, which would then make sense. So like the one thing that we, I guess, learned, if you want to call it that, that was new, is he specifically said... And until then, I'll keep picking the music. And so... Yes. Obviously, that's a callback to the pilot of Driver Picks the Music, Shotgun Shuts His Cake Hole. But then that also brings up Sam, because that's the next part of that line. But I also feel like it's one of those things that can be doing multiple things at once. So it can be tying Sam in without saying Sam. Right. But it also shows ownership. Dean's picking the music. Dean is narrating. Dean has his own journal. Dean is controlling the narrative. He is shaping, shaping the narrative? We don't know. But he's constructing the narrative and he's the one telling us. And then he's also picking the music, which of course then makes me want to go dig into all the music and be like, ooh, what'd you pick? If we think about it as Dean picking all of the music that we're hearing as emotional cues to take us through the episodes, I'm fascinated if there's going to be some cool stuff there. Which... I think we'll talk about in a minute a little Mm -hmm. bit, but we may end up doing a lot more work on that down the road. In the moment, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is such a fan moment. This is such an acknowledgement moment of us who are watching because this is such a callback and this is such a defining Dean thing. But then also it validates the fact that we have been looking at the music in Supernatural and for the promos for this show Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a while now and that there is intention behind what is being chosen and shared with us especially in this series I got very excited about that yeah it validates us looking more closely at what's being said and shared through the music which is something I love to do anyway so I was like yeehaw let's go (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely loved that it defined Dean as the driver of the show. Oh, yes. I was just like, oh, that's good. I love how you just said that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm digging it. I feel like there were two big questions in this. I mean, probably more than that. But like, from my mind, the two things that stuck are one, where is Dean? And two, who gave John the letter. And we can right. get into that in a minute. But for Dean being in heaven, I feel like with what they gave us, the obvious piece is that he's in heaven and yeah. that he is writing this all down while he's waiting for Sam so that he can give all of this information to Sam. That seems like the obvious safe choice. But, right. but, but, but it occurred to me that the Samuelites in the rearview mirror And there are two things within the course of Supernatural that we have been told lead people to God. And that is the Samulet and the Axis Mundi. Oh, crap. Krisha. And I was like, Krisha, Krisha. (laughs) If he has the Samulet, which glows in the presence of God while on the axis mundi even if chuck turned it off that doesn't mean that it's still off now that there's a new god yeah oh my gosh 
I just thought that was a really interesting combination of things. And we don't know that he's on the Axis Monday. There were power lines, but then is heaven what he remembers, in which case there would be power lines, you know. Right. You see what you want to see. People see it differently. You and I talked a lot about the Chuck One theory. I was re-listening to our host finale like two days later, still in the crying stage of grief <laughs> episode where we were crying talking about how Chuck won, you know, so like that has been an immediate thought since the episode aired. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. We are huge fans of Supernatural. We've been here podcasting about it for years, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. we're fans, but fans also know that there are a lot of issues with the writing in that show. Right. There's a lot of continuity errors. There's a lot of threads that you can't pull on because they'll fall apart. There are a lot of plot holes and things that are just dropped. And that's been a source of frustration over the years. J2 at a panel were talking about how they weren't allowed in the writer's room because they would ask those questions. They would challenge things. And so that's part of why they're excited to take creative control. And so it had me sitting here as like pondering on that and what that means, because we keep thinking like, okay, it's still supernatural. It's the supernatural universe. It's people that worked in the supernatural universe. It's still on the same network. But I don't think we actually know anything about what we're going to get because the network has just changed entire ownership. Pedowitz stepped down. Like none of the people that were in power, to my knowledge, before are now. We don't know what they want. The executive producers of the Winchesters, totally different than Supernatural. Like now it's Jensen and Daniil and Robbie. Robbie's the showrunner and Robbie as a writer is tight. He runs tight ship. Yep. So like I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, it's probably Sam on Supernatural. It would have been kind of that obvious choice. They set it up and then that would be what it is. And now I'm like, but are they going to go with the obvious choice? Right. They've already told us there's going to be a big twist. Right. Yes, that came out during the New York Comic Con weekend. Mm -hmm. They said that in episode 13, there's going to be a big reveal that's going to change everything. So... Obviously, that's anxiety provoking. Is this an AU? Is this not even our Dean and John and Mary and all of that? Or are they going to really truly bring something out of left field? Could it be Chuck one? Or could it be we're getting to see Chuck interfering or that Cass went back somehow to make sure that Dean was born because John and Mary were not getting along? (laughs) The fact that someone came to John, it was someone he didn't know, Mm -hmm. gave him a letter from Henry and then literally vanished because he said vanished disappeared right that certainly speaks to a time traveling element or like a wildly supernatural element yeah either or celestial of some i mean angels to my mind are the only people that literally can like pop in and out right right also god well yeah (laughs) god and the angels so you know whether it's Chuck, Cass, or some other angel or Lucifer. Although, I don't know. Henry time traveled on his own. I just it's remembered true. that. And he was able to harness the power of his own soul to do it. So... But he couldn't blink out again, though, immediately. He was able to no, blink No, that's in. true. But he wasn't able to link right back out. That's true. So I think you're right. I think it speaks more to celestial beings of some kind. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, okay, so is the big reveal something about Chuck in context of the 70s? What he was doing then? Could it be Jack? Could we get some sort of Al Cal back Mm. doing something with Jack, Chuck, whatever? There are a lot of possibilities and we just don't know. It's very exciting, whichever ones they are. I mean, what's clear is that there's some kind of interference that's happening. 
and I'm here for it. I mm-hmm. want to know more. This is a really fun mystery to start the series with. And I think it kind of brought it up to the next level because if it was just both their fathers are missing, it would be like, meh, you know, like we've yeah. been there, done that. But this is more. This adds a deeper mystery to it. And so I'm very, very excited to find out what that was all about. Mm. <laughs> and it could, I guess, just to say like the obvious, it could just have been a Cupid bringing them together. But true. That seems too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems too banal. Right. When I was looking through uh, what Dean actually said, I think that there were some clues. I think you're right. I think this may be being written for Sam because he doesn't say my mom or my dad. He just says mom and dad Right at the beginning. So that kind of builds upon your argument. And then he talks about how he's putting the pieces together in a way that is possibly surprising, Mm -hmm. even though the story is familiar. So it's somebody who knows the original story. Right. Mm -hmm. It feels like he's talking to us at the beginning. But I think you're right. I think he, he is probably talking to Sam. But then he says at the end, I'm still trying to find all the puzzle pieces myself. Yeah. So there's some kind of a mystery going on. And he also says that... What they didn't know was that the Akrita weren't just a threat to Earth, but to all of existence. So to me, that feels like there's a personal stake in this for Dean. Mm. That this might be affecting more than just the past. Oh, that's interesting. It might also be affecting the present. And maybe that's why there's some of the urgency to understand his parents' story better, because what's happening in the past is threatening all of existence, which would include the present. So I think that he may be on some sort of a mission also to stop the Akrita. Yeah, so his own heaven-based hunt essentially. So to me, it explained the urgency, perhaps, of why he's looking into his parents' past, why he looks so grim when he sits down in the car, because if this is threatening all of existence and he's in heaven, and this is before Sam comes, it could also be affecting Sam on Earth. And... That would also explain why after sitting at the side of the road, he peels off like a bat out of hell. Maybe Dean is on a mission and his mission is also the Akrita. I mean, who knows? I could be totally wrong, obviously, but it seemed to make some sort of sense of things to me. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because I noticed Ada specified that it wants to wipe out people and demons. So it's talking about different realms. And to me... The way that it was phrased, and I don't remember how it was phrased exactly, but I thought that she was indicating a multiverse, which that knowledge would have been known at that point because the men of letters in Lebanon had the telescope that looked at the AUs. Right. So I was thinking that that's what she was referring to, which she may, but then it sounds like it would be not just people, but other planes, you know, heaven, hell, purgatory, whatever, Mm -hmm. even in each AU. Lots to think about, lots to play with. One other thing that caught my eye was the lighting. I was already looking for that because we had talked about the lighting where Dean is trying to think about, is that heaven? It doesn't look like heaven. Is it purgatory? Is it like, where is he? What is that? Right. So I went back and watched the Supernatural pilot again with this idea of lighting in mind. 
And mm-hmm. what I found really interesting is that that same kind of bluish tone that we see of Dean in the car is consistent through the pilot. Like when you oh. think about the Easy Tiger scene. Yes. It also has that bluish tint. Okay. When you think about the woman in white, everything has that sort of stark kind of bluish feel to it. But in the Winchesters, when it's John and Mary, when it's the past, it has a sort of golden hue to it. Which, you know, to me is like, ah, it's old. That's that sepia tone or whatever that when we think about pictures of that era, a lot of times they have that golden quality to it. Mm. But in the pilot for Supernatural, gold also plays a really important role. Oh. Well, it's the fire when Mary and Jess both die. <gasps> oh, Frank. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, so it's stark and cold and blue, except <laughs> for when the women are on fire. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> ow. <laughs> yeah. So like, I have no idea if that has to do with anything, but I just thought it was interesting that the people that we are seeing in the past that we already know are dead. We even know how several of them die are gold, whereas Dean is that blue. Mm. I don't know if that means anything. I just thought it was interesting. That is really interesting. Wow. Mm. I'm going to think about that a little bit more. I wanted to point out something that cracked me up a little bit yeah so um so last night at my book club my friend jess looked up what akrita means and it's a sanskrit word which means a garden shut up (laughs) shut up (laughs) yep 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 what so it says in the quote that i took from the sanskrit Akrita means a playing place, a pleasure grove, a garden, or a royal garden. What? <laughs> what the hell are we supposed to do with that? Right? <laughs> oh my god. This show's gonna kill me. My brain exploded. I was like, we have just been talking about the garden. Sorry, I'm like, I'm like eating my hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we have the Samulet. We have the potential Axis Mundi. We now have a monster that's synonymous with garden. Mm-hmm. Killing me. Yep. 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 This show is wild. All right, then. Okay. <laughs> well. Where to go from that? <laughs> yeah, I am really going to need to sit with that for a little bit. I'm still sitting with the idea that Dean did look so... uh, He did not look like a man in heaven, (laughs) which is what we keep saying. It's like, this does not look like a man in paradise. Like, this looks like a man that is deeply unhappy with his circumstances, which I kept thinking, honestly, was just like, they just didn't pick the frame where he was happy. But like, you would think that if he was putting together a story of their parents for Sam that he would be happy about it. I expected him to look at the Samulet and quirk that little smile that he does. Mm. He did not. <laughs> like, nope. He really did not. No, I think the word to describe the way that he looked as he was driving off would be grim, mm-hmm. which again is not a thing that we think about with heaven. To me, that long look at the Samulet and Sam being obviously associated with the Samulet and Sam being missing and the urgency and him possibly writing to Sam means that there's some sort of danger to Sam and he's on a mission to try to 
stop whatever this threat is. So my other question, though, is that if he's in heaven, one of the primary issues that we had with the finale is that if he's in heaven and that Jack got Cass out of the empty, where is Cass and why was Cass not there to welcome him into heaven? If Dean is in heaven and Sam's in trouble or existence is in trouble, why would Cass not be in the passenger seat? Right. Which then speaks to a deeper potential issue. They don't want to rewrite the mothership. They don't want to change the canon of the primary show. But were things not quite as they were presented there at the end? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we've learned that what Sam and Dean are told is often not the truth. Right. That's been an ongoing thing. Which people can we trust to have? Even if the narrator is trustworthy, where did they get their information from? And was that a trustworthy source? So the idea that Cass is somewhere in heaven, but he's not there. The fact that Jack made heaven better, but he's not there. I mean, from the beginning, there were all of these signs that something was not right. And we we talked about that in our analysis episodes of the finale, that there Mm -hmm. were all of these signals that there was something wrong. And I'm wondering if they're picking up on that, that there is something wrong in heaven. And this is somehow a part of it. And we are kind of along for the ride to figure out how it all fits together. Because you're right, Dean driving carelessly on the roads the way that he was in the finale. This is a man on a mission. This is a man who is looking grim. Mm -hmm. This is a man who's moving with urgency. So I definitely think that even if he is in heaven, something's wrong and he's trying to fix it. Yeah. And to your point about the narration, it's interesting that you said that because I had that written down as something to do with John and Mary, because I noticed that Mary had no hesitation in telling John all about the hunting world. Yeah. She was just like, oh, it's a demon, this, that, the other. And I was like, wait a minute. We were always told you can't do that. You can't tell people about the supernatural. I mean, that's why Dean telling Cassie was a big deal. And Sam didn't tell Jess. And it was like, you just don't do that. And then it was like, well, who did we learn that from? John. Right. And so it was interesting, this idea of, are we going to learn that things that we thought were true are actually not true? Because they were just the truth of John Winchester, not actual truth. Right. Because there's also differences in just knowledge. The Scooby gang is walking around killing demons like it's not. He has a squirt gun with holy water in it. This is something that is normal, right? Right. This is Tuesday. They even make jokes about this. Like, yeah, this is a typical day for me. Right. Well, then we have John in Supernatural chasing the same demon for 20 years, having no idea what he's doing. He has no idea what he's doing. They talked about vampires. Mary told John about vampires in the Winchester's pilot. Right. John thought they were extinct in Supernatural. So it's like, where did all this knowledge go? The vampire thing, I was like, oh my gosh, here's another vampire thing that makes no sense. Like, (laughs) Is there going to be like a whole mind wipe kind of deal? Is this a different John and Mary than the John and Mary that we know? I mean, even little things. So John has just come back from the war in Vietnam where he was a Marine And he has PTSD, and now he's finding this other avenue in life. Well, in the Supernatural pilot, the iconic picture of John and Mary, he's wearing fatigues. In the pilot, John is wearing a Marine Corps shirt, watching war movies until he falls asleep. Picture by the bed is him in fatigue. Does he go back in 
to the military. If you have PTSD surrounding the death of your friend, why are you falling asleep watching war movies? I mean, everybody copes in their own way, so I don't want to say it's impossible that that's not something comforting to him. It just, I found it interesting based on the, the Winchester's pilot. Yeah, that really is interesting. There are a lot of little things and obviously the big things that he knows about demons and blah, blah, blah. That is stuff that we've already talked about that is making me think that either this is an AU or John lied about a whole lot of stuff and was way more clueless than he had been or there was a mind wipe or somebody's tampering. And the person dropping in with the key makes me think that somebody is tampering. Yeah, that certainly seems plausible. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the music? Yeah, And then maybe we can chat about Easter eggs after that because there were so many. So many. We could do a whole episode just on that and probably not catch them all. It's true. The musical choices, at least one of them, once I realized what it was, made me want to gnaw my own arm off. Yes. Just chew on the furniture like... Yes. Before we get to that, because I had the same reaction Uh when you told me (laughs) to look up the lyrics for that song, there were a couple of really fun moments with the music, just instrumental music. Mm -hmm. And one of those was that, remember how in Supernatural, when there was kind of a cheesy moment between the brothers, they would break into that bluesy music to end off a scene? Great. did the same thing between John and Mary when John made the really corny joke and it broke into the bluesy guitar after that and I was like no no they just did that no what how oh my gosh yeah I figured you'd like your coffee the same as your worldview black as night I'm Mary it's nice to officially meet you Mary So there were these musical callbacks that I was really enjoying. And another one of those moments was an excerpt from Americana by Jay Gruska. Yeah. I call it the family theme from Supernatural, but a lot of people call it Dean's theme. And it often happens with these family moments that are really poignant, either positively or negatively within Supernatural. You and Sam have each other. I think 
it's time for me to move on. just a few notes of it but that music came out in the scene between John and Millie at the end but then you were born and I put you on my chest and in that moment I knew I would do anything anything to keep you safe maybe one day when you have kids you'll understand Dad was trying to do too. Keep us safe. And I had to like pause it and breathe for a minute. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. I couldn't quite, I don't have that musical ear where I could place it exactly. I just knew it was important. The sound effects or the musical cues that are directly the same, those hit me. They always hit me really hard. I thought it was interesting that it was playing with John and... Millie, but I guess that makes sense since they're really the only family that we saw together. Yes. And it was during that scene where they were talking about Henry and the wounds from that. Mm -hmm. It was a very poignant moment because she was talking about how he left them and he was talking about maybe there was a reason. And so it was a moment of trying to talk through two very different points of view on a family issue. And so to me, it made sense that the music was playing during that scene. But yeah, it really hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, they're using this actual theme from Supernatural that has been used in all of these really powerful moments surrounding Mary, surrounding Cass, surrounding Sam, and always Dean. I just, ugh, feels, feels. That conversation was also a huge tie to the primary show because it had Gil doing the voiceover for Henry. So that's our Henry. And it also Uh. had John say, Saving people, hunting things. I was born to do this. That was the strongest connection back to the primary show. That's right. Where they really just like grabbed us with both hands and everything that they had, like just unleashed on us. Yes. Gil's voice got me. Hearing Gil as Henry, that one got me. I'm sorry I kept the truth from you, John. There's a dangerous world out there. And our family has fought that danger for centuries. I wasn't sure until you told me. And then retroactively, I had a whole moment. (laughs) It sounds like we may hear him again. Gil changed his header on Twitter to be the Winchesters. So I'm hopeful. That's exciting. I love that. Getting the actors from the original show just brings it together. It just connects it emotionally. And the music connected it emotionally. Yes. I appreciated it so much. Little things like the title card sound effect just connect us emotionally. And it's... It's interesting, and I won't divert too far, but one of the things that we struggled with with the finale is that it didn't start with Carry On and that montage and the way that it always did because those types of cues are so important in bringing us in that sense of familiarity and connection and continuity. Right. So I think that's part of why the title card and the sound effect 
those kinds of things are just important. The ritual of it, it just draws us in. It signals something familiar and recalls those emotional cues from that previous experience. That's why those moments are so important. And that's absolutely the work that that title card sequence did. Also, there was by lighting. (sighs) I don't even know what to do with that yet. I don't know either. You saw it and I just, I'm still processing. I know. Those colors make no sense with anything else given the theme of the show. Like why? Why are they there? We will not go too far down that road, but I just had to say it out loud. (laughs) I'm sure we'll get there at some point, but. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's continue on with the music though, because you looked up the song that was at the end and actually it frames the episode. So we have it both at the beginning of the episode and at the end of the episode. It's framing the episode. It's doing work that we've seen Supernatural do where you have something at the beginning echoing something at the end. It's by the band 10 Years After and it's called I'd Love to Change the World. And I want to hear you talk about it now, please. (laughs) Well, it's not just that it frames the episode. It's what's playing underneath Dean's narration both times. That's right. And so the fact that Dean is narrating over a song called I'd Love to Change the World. (laughs) (laughs) While the world is being actively changed from what we knew. You have Robbie saying like, oh, we're not going to rewrite what we know of Supernatural. And then Dean is narrating over I'd Love to Change the World. And I'm like, I'm getting mixed messages. (laughs) I don't know what to do. Yeah. Are we changing it or are we not? What are we changing? Can we just change the last two? We can yeah. change those. <laughs> yeah, the rest of it can stay the same. That is what we want. We have wanted things to change. We've wanted there to be something different. And the idea that Dean also wants to do this is the subtextual message that we're getting from his voice being paired with this song and the song title. Yeah, well, I mean, Driver picks the music. It is literally telling us, Dean is telling us that the music is a purposeful choice. And so, (laughs) so it's just a lot. There are potential slurs in the lyrics, depending on your view of certain words. So verse one is the way it starts within the show, yeah? Yeah, so as John is getting off the bus, we hear these lyrics. Okay, everywhere is freaks and harrys, dykes and fairies. Tell me, where is sanity? Tax the rich, feed the poor, till there are no rich no more. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do, so I'll leave it up to you. Everywhere is... For me, I was taken aback by those lyrics at Mm -hmm. first, the first part of the lyrics. 
But then I was thinking more about it. And to me, it felt sort of like a call and response. So one perspective and then another perspective being told within the same verse. The conservative point of view, look at all of these people who are freaks. And then the response is, we need to tax the people who are the actual freaks who are ruining the world. That's how I read those opening lyrics. But I think it's really interesting that as this story is starting, we're getting references to sexuality said blatantly as the framing song for this show. And they don't censor it. Like you can hear them seeing those words as John is getting off the bus. Mm-hmm. What I got excited about when I was listening is it talks about overpopulation. It talks about people going hungry. It talks about pollution, racial discrimination, economic inequality, all of these things that are unjust. Right. Right. And what has been a central theme of Supernatural is that The world that was created was an unjust world. And from the beginning, Sam and Dean were fighting against the injustices in the world of people having to live in a world with monsters and demons. And especially with the finale being what it was and the injustices that we felt were in the finale that stripped away a lot of the progress that these characters had made and a lot of the progress that the show had made in terms of diversity, all of the women died, all of the queer people died. It was just the two brothers. The brothers reverted back to the way that they interacted with each other at the beginning of the series. The fact that we've been so focused on injustice with regards to the finale and the show has been focused on the injustices, especially in the last season of a world ruled by an unjust god, The fact that the song that frames this episode is talking about injustice and the things that are all wrong and broken in the world, I felt like that was really significant. Yeah, the chorus, I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do, so I'll leave it up to you. It's so fascinating because that's the opposite of the Winchester way. They're going to figure it out. Dean is actively figuring it out. He may not know what to do right now. That may be the putting of the puzzle pieces together, trying to find the pieces. Right. But he recognizes that something, it seems like, needs to be done. Yeah, I felt like this echoed a lot of the fan response to the end of the show. We know that what happened, it wasn't just a huge part of the fandom felt that and experienced that, but we did not have the power to do anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I felt like this spoke to me as a fan, as well as reflecting the experiences within the show itself. Yeah. Well, and then if I could put my clown nose on for just a second, the fact that verse one talks about queerness and then verse four talks about bees. Life is funny. Skies are sunny. Bees may honey. good lord (laughs) oh good lord i can clown about anything oh my no that is legit (laughs) driver picks the music krisha oh my gosh life is funny skies are sunny bees make honey who needs money not poor me oh my goodness i'm sorry i'm having a moment (laughs) this is gonna take a second (laughs) 
<laughs> the lyrics that were over the very end when Dean was driving away were... So even that, I was like, oh, stop the war, huh? Which one? Yeah. Gonna have to keep checking back in on music. There were other musical cues. Walking After Midnight by Patsy Cline. All Right Now by Free. Those also had some interesting lyrics that gave us some stuff to think about. They sure did. I think one that you pointed out to me was the line from the song by Free. She said, love, Lord above. Now you're trying to trick me in love. She said, love. All right now, baby, it's all right now. And they just say that over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds like me trying to convince myself. This is fine. It's fine. This is fine. <laughs> Breaking it down. Mary was tricked into love. John was tricked into love mm-hmm. because they were forced together by heaven. They were set upon by a Cupid. And before that, they didn't get along at all, according to canon. So I found that moment particularly significant. Shall we talk Easter eggs and parallels and all that fun stuff? Just a few highlights. There was so many. One of my favorites was when they're looking at the board that Samuel put together, which is in and of itself a callback to John and the pilot with his wall full of information about the woman in white. The monster of the week, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite moments is that on that board, there is a postcard for the Manners Motel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that was a callback to Kim Manners, who Mm -hmm. was very, very dear to the cast and was a director for the first few seasons of Supernatural and unfortunately passed away. So I had big feels seeing that. Yeah. What were some of yours? As I was rewatching the Supernatural pilot, it occurred to me, Samuel has this huge board with all of these notes because he is battling this enemy that is trying to wipe out existence whereas john's whole big hotel room board was a monster of the week that sam and dean figured out in a minute right which i thought was just like okay that made me laugh the handwritten coordinates dean sees that in dad's journal in the pilot of supernatural says same old ex-marine crap when he wants to tell us where he's going right which is funny too because it actually originates with samuel right right Yeah, the big parallel that really got me was John telling Mary that he hates his dad, but he loves him because that's exactly what Dean says to Mary later. That one definitely, I was like, wow, they are going to go hard. Okay. Yep. Because that is some, you know, emotional heavy punching to do in a pilot. One of the most powerful moments in all of Supernatural is that moment with Dean and Mary. That's when she's been brainwashed by the Men of Letters and is hiding inside of her own head in Mm -hmm. memories of her time with Sam. Dean is furious with her that she's hiding rather than fighting it and that as a consequence she's hurting people in the real world he ends up having this confrontation with Mary who air quotes can't hear him Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that scene and that's part of what he says I hate you I hate you but I love you 
And it's such a powerful moment because he hasn't been able to say those things because he's been holding on so tightly and wanting his mom so bad. He he was terrified of her leaving and then she did anyway. And finally he's able to voice these deep traumatic feelings that he's been holding back. And my God, that was a powerful, powerful scene. Yeah. So to have that brought up by John, it, it really, it hit, mm-hmm. it hit hard. Quickly, two others that were meaningful or kind of hit me in the feels. John said that... When I was a kid, I um, thought there was a monster under my bed. You know, my dad used to say, uh, say, don't worry, son. I know how to trap it. And then in the pilot for Supernatural, Sam says... When I told dad I was scared of the thing in my closet, he gave me a 45. What was he supposed to do? I was nine years old. I was like, well, that's a different approach, isn't it? Yep. And then, of course, the last being when John is seeing visions of Murph in the backseat. That was very Cass in season 18, having flashbacks of Cass from Purgatory. Yes. So somebody shared a Tumblr with me that talked about how Vietnam was a parallel for purgatory. Mm. Dean had to leave Cass behind and John had to leave his friend behind. And the idea of carrying something with you in your arm out of it. So in John's case, it was a piece of his friend's cross. And in Dean's case, it was a soul. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Because I was like, why the hell would he have a cross in his arm? Wouldn't the doctors have taken it out? Right? That is not original to me, but I thought that was really insightful. There was also another scene that my friend Christy picked up on, and then my friend Elise looked over and they gave permission for me to share this. So I remember when Mary was talking about how she saw the faces of people she lost all the time. There's a scene and it's the scene where it's sort of like almost a date and there are ships in the background of the Mm -hmm. restaurant in that scene but not when Cass isn't there. Cass is talking about how he has been thinking about all the people that he's hurt and Dean is like you gotta let go of it like the people that you let down the people that you can't save you've got to forget about them and Cass is like is that what you do and Dean is like that's the opposite of what I do (laughs) (laughs) but I ain't exactly a role model so (laughs) that idea of both Mary and Dean holding on to stuff yeah while sort of trying to help people who are also holding on to stuff I thought that was an interesting parallel and again that wasn't me that was my friends Christy and Elise Mm -hmm. (laughs) interesting parallels are happening yep yep Yeah, I guess the last thing that I would want to bring up because I think it's important and worthy of mention is Misha tweeting, hello, Dean. Oh, my God. After the episode ended. And I cannot fathom why I didn't anticipate that, of course, he would do that. He would wait until we were all in our fields. And then as soon as he did it and I picked myself back up off the ground from where I fell, I was like, oh, of course he would do that. (laughs) <laughs> it was over a picture of Dean leaning against the Impala on yeah. the road. Hello, Dean. Welcome back. Oh, Which is God. what Cass should have said. Oh, God. Just many big feelings. So many. 
but it was perfect as much as it was scream worthy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I feel like we've been on a whole journey while we've been recording this, but like there was so much and we still haven't touched on all of it. I know. It's an interesting type of story because we already know theoretically how it ends, at least in some ways. And so it gives a different layer of complexity of perspective to the way that we're thinking about it. Yes. It's fun. It is. And just again, I just want to shout out to the new characters and all the actors who are playing them. It's amazing. Wow. They did a really great job. Mm -hmm. I care about them already. I can't wait to see more. We get more. There's like more beyond the pilot episode. I don't know why that also took me by surprise. It's like, logically, you know, and then I started seeing promo pics for the next episode. And I'm like, oh my God, we get to come back next week and do it again? <laughs> and it's not going to be an eight-part series this is looking like it's going to be a full run mm-hmm. oh my goodness exciting yeah i guess the last thing that i would like to mention is that it was the most watched premiere of any premiere on the cw this fall mm-hmm. so that makes me hopeful that we're not going to get cut off mid-season or anything like that. Yeah, I was going to say, listen up, network executives, and we are far, far, far from the only podcast to be talking about it. There's so many Winchester podcasts that have popped up. Take care of this family and we will take care of you, you know? That's right. So I guess I'm still a little bit wary, but I feel at the same time very excited about moving forward and Mm -hmm. seeing what else is in store. I guess that's where I'm at. Where are you at with all of this after we've talked it through? No, same. I mean, I'm trying to just like enjoy the ride. I'm trying to just sit back and take it in. I'm not trying to put too much pressure on it. It's very easy to say that and harder if they raise the stakes. Like if someone says the word Castiel, I'm going to be just hanging on by a thread, y'all. But for right now, it's just like, this is fun. It's fun to to delve into, to think about. I'm glad that we have a reason to come together again and talk. It was the longest hiatus that has ever been. Oh, God, it's finally over. We have new things to bitch at each other about. (laughs) (laughs) Thank the gods. Uh, Yes. I'm feeling good. See where it goes. Same. Okay. Well, I think that's where we will leave it then. You can message us and stay up to date with the latest on our Twitter page, which is at the fangirl biz. That's B-I-Z or B-I-Z. We will see you again next time, which will be soon because we have another episode coming next week that we get to talk about. Woo! Until then, carry on, wayward friends. We love you. Bye. Bye. does not want her going deeper into the Fuck, this cat has jumped up three times in a row and is trying to sit on my papers mm-hmm. so i can't see anything yes i love you buddy i do but no um yeah so i really uh i i have no idea what i was saying <laughs>
that's okay. Lata. I think you were talking about Lata and like, you know, the, the different things there. Um, Four the times. The history. Four times. Well. Yeah. Five mm-hmm. times. <laughs> Your cat has some things to say about the Winchesters. Like, he sure freaking does. Don't silence him. No, I, I will not. Um... <laughs> Couldn't if you tried, basically. Exactly. <laughs> um, as we're talking about that, I'm just sort of realizing that. And six times. Well, now there's purring. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I'm really enjoying that. Um, depth, which has already been established. I f- give up. <laughs> Listen, we can all have purring in the background. It's fine. Okay, as long as he doesn't sit on my papers. Mm. Dude, I love you, but you are so needy. Okay. Um, y- you say some stuff now. Sure. Yeah. 